Today on the Arts Report, we have two very different film festivals, one for youth and one of short films done in only eight days. Plus, DJ Spooky's Journey to Antarctica, resulting in a multimedia show at the Chan Center. Plus, a dance show called Expose about identity and lots more. So stay with us on the Arts Report. Welcome to the Arts Report for April the 6th, 2011. The Arts Report is your weekly arts and culture fix here on the radio at uh, 101.9 FM CITR. As well, we're streaming online at CITR.ca. I'm your host, Adam Janusz. And on today's show, we've got, as I said at the top there, two film festivals. Not one, but two, but they're vastly, vastly different. One uh, is for youth and has to deal with, uh, has to do with, and deals with, uh, films that uh, feature children uh, or are about youth. So really for any age, uh, can appreciate it, but, uh, but geared towards... Um, Toward youth, the opening uh, film uh, is about a uh, is a documentary about a filmmaker who goes to Iraq to a small war torn village and gives children uh, cameras and gets them to make their own films and the film uh, documents that journey. So things like that. Uh, that's going to be great. Also, we'll get uh, the scoop about uh, the live music scene on Granville Street and beyond um, with uh, Dan Tanner, who is a local promoter and uh, and a cool dude, Nick Sartori, our support correspondent, brings us that story. Plus, what else do we have? Uh, a dance piece called Expose, and that delves into themes of identity crisis, as well as the sort of personal versus... Um, uh, public sides of of one's personality, and that's coming to the dance center. And uh, DJ Spooky from New York City will be on the UBC campus at the Chan Center on Saturday. He's also doing an artist talk on Friday, and uh, he actually went all the way to Antarctica to capture the sounds of Antarctica, the sounds of uh, snow sweeping across mountains and. Uh, and what else would you hear? Uh, penguins running down. Polar- There's no polar bears in the Ar- no. in the Antarctica. No, sorry. Like Tom uh, volunteers in uh, in studio with us. Um, yeah, there actually aren't any. Only uh, penguins and various um, seabirds. I don't know. I made that up. But okay, let's uh, let's uh, roll on with the show. Yeah. So uh, lots of good stuff for you and. Uh, We'll go over it over the next uh, 60 or so minutes. But before we do, I want to I talk about a couple of shows that I saw uh, over the last little while. And they're a good compare and contrast. Um, one of them was 1984, which just wrapped up at uh, The Colch. It was a huge production with multimedia television screens and a huge cast of students from Studio 58 a massive production, and apparently they were selling out every every night, which is great, good for them. Um, and what's the other show that I saw? Yes, at uh, Pacific Theater, it was called Jesus Hopped the A-Train, which is I still think is kind of a strange title, but uh, featured some absolutely incredible performances by uh, especially the, the two main leads, one of which we had on the Arts Report, uh, Robert Olgeen, 
um, who is originally from Seattle. Um, is he from Seattle? Yes. Sorry, I'm just I'm just trying to call up his biography. I know he's part Spanish Denver. and a part Native American. Was that was that Denver. Tom? Hey, Denver. Oh, he's from Denver originally. Thank you. But um, but we should just uh, we should just hook up your uh, microphone. We can we can uh, co-host. Why don't we Why don't we do that? Turn on Turn on the microphone. Uh, that's Mike. Two. Yeah, go ahead and lower it down. Hello, Tom. Hello. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So Tom's been, uh, he's joined the arts team and uh, been doing some research for us. That's why he's, uh, he's, he's chiming in here. because Wealth of knowledge on theatre in the <laughs> Vancouver area. So You're being a little sarcastic. Feel free right? to ask me. <laughs> right on. Anyway, so I saw these two, uh, these, uh, two shows. And um, yeah, the reason I bring them up is because uh, Jesus Hop the A-Train through its acting, and especially Robert Olguin's performance, was an example of what I thought was theater at its best. And what, to me, theater, what is theater at its best is when you look at the people on the stage and you can identify with them on a, on a grand scale. When you see an actor and you see their happiness, because they're happy about something in their play, yes, but through the way they portray happiness, you're like, I understand that. I've been happy like that. I know that emotion. I felt that emotion. We've all been there. Or when you see them on their knees in tears, in just an absolute despair, and you look at them and you say, yes, that is my despair. When I'm in my, my lowest, um, deepest, crappiest mood, this is what I'm seeing right in front of me. This is what this actor is doing. He's showing basically myself uh, when I'm at my worst. And when you see that, when I see that, it, it, it's inspiring, it's amazing, and, and it's what theater is supposed to be. You know, humanity reflected back at you. And, and he did that. And I told, him, uh, after the, I told him so after the show. And uh, he's a super humble guy. Very nice. But anyway, uh, so you had that on the one hand. And then I, I hate to say this, but 1984 was on the other hand. Um, when theater is not at its best, it mocks humanity. Okay? When you see people on the stage, uh, let's say an old woman, and she's walking uh, with this weird limp, and she's got a funny old voice, and she's hanging linens uh, in, an, in an extremely awkward and, and strange fashion. And you look at her and you're like, who, who are you making fun of? And why? Why are you, why are you mocking this, this woman that you're playing? And you know, maybe she isn't doing that on purpose, but I'm just saying, when theater is not at its best, you look at it and you're like, this is silly. You people are silly. And, and I hate to say it, but that's the kind of stuff I saw in, uh, in 1984. And listen, I, although I don't think it was entirely successful, I applaud them for trying. I really do. Because the multimedia aspect was off the wall. It was incredible. When, when we walked into that theater, the first thing I went was, whoa. You know, they had these screens with Big Brother's face on it. And... Um, and war, war is peace flashing on it and all these different things flashing on these screens and, and they had two levels, they had two floors and the set was incredible. You know, they got, they got a theater school involved in, and they got students to be involved in a professional production. They were selling out every night. All of that stuff is awesome and they tried to adapt a classic and that's tough no matter, no matter who you are or, or what play you, or what uh, book you're adapting. That is a tough job, especially with a classic that is much loved. You're going to get people who are like, mm, I like my version better in my head when I read the book. No thanks. And and so you know what? They tried and it was an excellent experiment and I applaud them for it. But it just was a good example of of um of theater, these two plays, theater at its best and theater not so much at its best.
All right, but that's that's my sermon for today. But those are two shows I saw on the weekend, and they've, they've both wrapped up. Um, but there's definitely more from Pacific Theater and definitely more from the Kulch over the next little while, so stay tuned for uh, that. So now let's, uh, let's get on with the show. The Real to Real Film Festival is for all ages, but hopes to make a special impression on youth, with films that focus on growing up and being young in a tumultuous world. For example, the first movie of the festival, appropriately titled the first movie, is a documentary about a filmmaker who goes to a small, war-torn Iraqi village and arms local kids with video cameras, empowering them to tell their own stories. Vinay Felton is the executive director of Real to Real, and here she is to tell us what's new in this year's festival. Oh, a lot is new. We, we have changed a few the, the programming. We've added workshops, um, and we actually just added more because they're so popular. Hmm. Um, and we, we now have an opening night on Saturday, and uh, uh, all-day programming on Saturday and Sunday, the 9th and the 10th. Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the biggest, uh, is, is the goal, or, or, you know, what do you want people to get out of uh, attending? Um, we say it's for all ages, and by that we actually hope that um, families uh come together um, to watch the films. It's a family activity, and I don't mean family in a narrow sense. I mean friends and children, um, and that can be aunts and uncles or um, any configuration of family that you can think of. And uh, tell me about um, some highlights. Uh, first of all, uh, the opening. Well, the opening night is a highlight. Um, it's, a, it's a film that's produced um, in Vancouver, um, and but is shot in Iraq, and it, um, it it's by uh, a um, British filmmaker who goes to Iraq um, and provides children with cameras, and they make movies, mm-hmm. and they uh, they talk about what's of concern to them in in a place where there's war, and um, he also screens. Some classic films like the red balloon mm-hmm. so it's the first time they've ever seen a movie and so it it's really suitable for real to real because we're really about um teaching about media so we also hand children cameras and get them to tell their stories and we also uh show them films that they would never get to see anywhere else hmm. excellent and uh, what are some other highlights um we have so many parts <laughs> Um, I would say there's a, a very unique uh, documentary from Germany called Seven or Why I Exist, um, in which seven children talk about everything that uh, is of interest to them, their dreams, um, what they believe in, what they're afraid of. Um, it's very honest. They're incredibly articulate. I've shown the film to children, and they're amazed at how... Um, how well they speak and and the fact that they're given a voice that that um, they say that children often don't get to be heard that way as being so intelligent. Mm. Um, another one is a, a local documentary by Jeff Chiba Stearns, uh, which has screened in uh, Vancouver previously, but not to a family audience, and we think it's also quite appropriate. Um, it's a, it's about growing up as a mixed race person and um, being uh, asked who you know about identity and also 
his discovery that um, many Japanese Canadians are of um, intermarry. Mm-hmm. So it's an exploration of his family, and it includes lots of history, BC history, and um, and animation. Hmm. Now you mentioned workshops that are that are uh, extremely popular. Can you tell us about some of these workshops? Yeah, it's uh, they're all filmmaking workshops. Mm-hmm. So um, we have digital filmmaking, we have animation, claymation. Um, Jeff Chipa Stearns, who's the director of One Big Hapa Family, is going to do lightning doodle okay. using flashlights. It's a kind of pixelation, but it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we have um, Scott Kyborn, who's also a local animator. He's doing free workshops on Saturday, April 9th and April 10th during the day. So either before a movie or after a movie, uh, it's open to the public. That's great. Is there anything else you'd want to mention? Um, Just uh, a whole lot of great films. There's a film from South Africa, White Lion, that's extraordinary. Um, Wildlife, um, but it's told as a story. Um, and um, Eep, we have the uh, young Canadian actress uh, who is going to attend. Um, she's a, a bird-like creature in the film, and um, she's going to be at the screening for a Q&A. Do you think she'll come out as a bird-like creature? <laughs> she might. We could ask her. <laughs> <Right> <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for your time. Okay. Well, thank you, Adam. And that's Vinay Felton, the executive director of the Real to Real Festival, which has its opening night gala screening, as I mentioned on the top. It's called The First Movie, and that's Saturday, April the 9th at 7 p.m. at the Van City uh, Theater. Uh, by the way, uh, I am uh, currently dressed as a bird-like creature, but of course you can't see that um, because you're not in the studio with me, but uh, funny coincidence there. Um, also, um, funny coincidence, the mentioned in the interview was one big hapa family and that was actually uh, a feature on the arts report back in november the third uh that was an interview done uh by uh, nick panu uh who by the way uh does a great arts show on cjsf over at uh sfu on mondays it's called arts indie crossroads and um so check that out if you have a chance and of course our podcasts are available you could see that uh, that interview of one big hapa family by jeff stearns which will be in the real to real festival that's the november 3rd arts report and you can check that out at citr.ca that's where you can get all our podcasts and even subscribe and get uh, the latest podcasts into uh, your computer. No questions asked. Now, uh, back to uh, the event info for this. The ticket prices are $12 for adults. Uh, child, children, youth, and seniors is 8 bucks, and that's for the, the opening of the first movie. Uh, otherwise, screenings are 8 bucks. Uh, for adults and $6 for children, youth, and seniors. Groups of 10 plus get in for $5 each. So we're going to take a short little break uh, now. And when we return, we'll get the scoop on the action in the live music scene on Granville Street and beyond. So uh, stay with us. Vancouver Folk Music Festival is proud to present Matt Epp and the Amorian Assembly Tuesday, April 12th at the St. James Hall in Kits. Touring from coast to coast in support of the new album At Dawn, Matt Epp fuses the songwriting greatness of influences like Bob Dylan and Jonathan Richmond into something uniquely his own. I wasn't 
Don't miss Matt Epp and the Amorian Assembly Tuesday, April 12th at the St. James Hall in Kits. For tickets and more information, visit thefestival.bc.ca. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM. Now, uh, before the break, I was talking about our podcast, and uh, last week's podcast uh, featured um, a segment on Slam UBC, and that event is happening tonight. So if you want to see some awesome slam poetry, come to Kerner's Pub uh, here on the UBC campus uh, tonight. I believe it begins at 8. And if you did miss our show last week, really go check out the podcast because uh, Johnny McRae, who will be there uh, tonight, uh, did one of his poems, and we broadcast it on the air. It was called I Love My Vagina. Yes, and it was performed by a man. Yes. Why? How does that make sense? Go get the podcast. Oh, sorry, my headphones just went off. Sorry, uh, I got a little frightened there. Okay, uh, where were we? Let me tell you about uh, this. Arts Report correspondent Nick Sartori went down to the Forum on Granville Street uh, downtown just the other day to give us a sense of the live music scene in Vancouver. And he spoke to Dan Tanner, music promoter and really a community builder for local music in Vancouver. And they talked about how after starting a weekly rock showcase called 30 Live, which we featured many a time on the Arts Report, other venues on the Granville Strip increased their live music content. As well, they talked about uh, Dan's work at Vancouver's perennial favorite venue, the Cobalt, and lots more that he's got going on. They talked about that too. So uh, here's Nick to tell us more. Okay, so I'm joined here by uh, Dan Tanner, who is founder and... I don't even know what to call you. He runs 30 Live Group and makes fantastic live music happen in the city of Vancouver, all over the place now. And uh, you might remember Dan from back in uh, the fall, I guess, when the 30 Live weekly show started at uh, the Forum on the Granville Strip. And since that time, there's been quite a development with the 30 Live Group and uh, with what they're doing. So I guess let's start there. What, um, where have you guys come from that initial start at the Forum with the weekly 30 Live shows? Well, we kind of, uh, the series has become a bit of a monster. Um, as we started our Thursdays at the Forum, um, various venues opened up, Joe's Apartment, The Roxy stepped up a bit, um, Republic started doing live music, and we, we had a lot of competition there. Um, while we were doing those nights, uh, people could see that there were good lineups, there were good bills. We are interested in a lot of the artists that we were putting on. I actually became friends with the guys who uh, recently purchased the Cobalt uh, a year ago. A year ago this weekend, and uh, I became the booking agent for the Cobalt in January. So we had a uh, not only did we have the Thursday nights at the Forum, but we also had a view to uh, taking bands from those initial Thursday nights and doing sort of bigger capacity shows with bigger bills on the weekends or Friday Saturdays to, to have like a, a bit of a progression from from our initial meeting with a band to offering them uh, something more, you know, a, a longer-term relationship with a, with a series of shows. And um, obviously the, the response from bands has been pretty good because you've, you're working with a number of musicians throughout the city. Um, and this weekend was a great example of that because you had three shows on one night. You had the f- uh, year anniversary at the Cobalt, uh, your show at the Media Club, and then uh, also at Joe's Apartment. And so you, you guys are clearly very busy. Um, how's the response been from, from the crowd? How's the response been from music fans in Vancouver? 
Well, the, the, the thing is, um, classically, what, what people want to say is that, uh, well, you know, as a promoter or as a show guy, you know, you, you're spreading yourself thin and you're not doing the bands of justice, you know, like you're trying to do all these shows and things like that. And in response to that, we, we actually proactively tried to counteract that by having an individual person from our firm taking over every show. We had one guy managing the TV Heart Attack show at Joe's apartment on Saturday. We had two guys managing the Media Club show with Panther and the Superfly Band. And then we had two guys managing the, the Cobalt show, um, which was their anniversary party, all promoting totally separately. You know, but uh, yeah, make, ensuring that the draw's there for the bands, ensuring that you know, the show's being looked after effectively. And uh, so, really, we're we're able to ex- with with the people that we have working for us now, we're able to expand without without affecting the, the draw of our shows and without cross promoting. You've got a few big shows coming up, and the one that I want to talk about is coming up on Friday, April fifteenth, um, at the Cobalt, and it's the Road to Sasquatch because the Sasquatch Music Festival is obviously coming to the Gorge at the end of May. Um, so, tell us a little bit more about this show. Well, to be to be honest, we we did this party. This this party is kind of an, an indulgence for me. We uh, I have uh, two really really busy months coming up before I, I go to Sasquatch because I I've uh, I was one of the lucky ones to get a ticket, and um, I actually I, I purchased three tickets and I had the other two sitting there. And there's the obvious thing about Craigslist and stuff like that, and I've, I have no nothing negative to say about people that sell on Craigslist. You know, that's that's fantastic. That's each their own. But for my personal opinions, I wouldn't feel right doing the work I do and having telling people I have the ethics I do if I was just to sell those for a profit. Um, nor nor did I just want to want to just um, sort of give them my face face value. So I thought, well, you know, I've done pretty well out of music here. You know, we're going to do a party based around Sasquatch. I'm, I'm kind of itching to go anyway, so uh, it's kind of like a bit of a, a bit of a party to celebrate sort of the amount of people that go. Everybody, everybody I speak speaks to, they're, they're either going to Coachella or Sasquatch. Um, so a month before, sort of six weeks before the event, we're doing a party at the Cobol on Friday, April fifteenth, with a band called Mad Rad, we're like a hip hop electro band. They're actually playing the festival. Um, we're bringing them in from Seattle. Uh, Piper Davis is playing, who's got a really good reputation with uh, with music bloggers around here. Uh, Autocoid are one of the opening bands. That's actually a side project of the uh, the guys that are in the Humans, uh, who are like the champions of the Cobalt, uh, Robbie and Pete. And uh, opening, we've got Panther and the Superfly Band, who are, who are swiftly becoming uh, sort of a, a leading scene band in Vancouver. And the big the big hook for this show is we're actually giving away two uh, four day passes to Sasquatch. So the two extra tickets that I bought, um, I've, I've decided to give them away. Uh, for free at the party to uh, to two guys, uh, we're going to raffle them off and uh, and just and just go from there. Have a great show. And I, just, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a brilliant show. We've pre-sold around 100 tickets already, and uh, the venue the venue only holds sort of 250 300 people. So we're you know we've almost we almost covered the costs of the bands, and uh, we're also um, hopefully going to be making uh, well we are we're going to be making a donation to uh, a cancer charity um, from the profits of the show as well. So. Uh, yeah, and that was Nick Sartori talking to Dan Tanner and uh, Thirty Life. The music group has tons of events going on every week, including one uh, tomorrow, and that's going to feature three bands at uh, the Forum. And the three bands include Lady Gold Stars, Are for Suckers, and Craig's Basement. 
And that show begins. Doors open at 8 p.m. And the first band, Lady, will play at 9:30. And off they will go from there until uh, late in the night, I'm sure. Uh, the forum, by the way, is 1163 Granville Street, which is about Helmkin. And so you should check uh, the page for this week's 30 Live and also many other 30 Lives for the weeks ahead. And you can get that on Facebook. All you have to do is type into the search bar 30 colon live. Or if you go to our website, citr.ca, you'll find uh, a link straight from there to the Facebook page. And that's great. And there's one other thing I want to tell you about that they're doing, and that's on Friday. They've uh, teamed up with UBC Lip Dub, which I will explain in a moment. And they're doing a free music concert at Robson Square on Friday. Friday night at 8 p.m., a free music show right on uh, Robson Robson and uh, Howe Street, <laughs> right in the center of things. And uh, if you're wondering what Lip Dub is, well, on Saturday, March the 26th, over 1,000 university, high school students, and community members came together to rock out and showed their special skills, all while lip syncing the words to Pink's Raise Your Glass, as well as Celebrity Status by Marianas Trench who were featured in the video. So basically they did this huge lip-syncing uh, music video, and they're going to premiere it uh, there, or do a big launch, video launch party. Yeah. So check that out. That's on Friday. All right. Uh, are we going to take a break now? Yes, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll tell you about a collaboration between Vancouver dance company Co. Arasga and uh, a Uruguayan dance uh, company, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So uh, stay with us. Are you interested in radio but not quite sure how to get involved? CITR is the place for you. We are a volunteer-driven campus and community radio station with a variety of volunteer opportunities. Want to become an on-air programmer? Learn about promotions? Maybe become a news or arts reporter? Come learn about all the ways you can become involved at CITR. Volunteer orientations are held on the first Monday of every month at 6.30 p.m., if the first Monday falls on a statutory holiday, the orientation moves to the second Monday. Visit citr.ca for more information. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM. The music in that ad always makes me want to do some sort of strange jerking dance. And like that. You can't see. I'm in my bird costume. It makes a lot more sense if you could see me. But um, Restricted. Hey? You're restricted in your costume. I, I am. I, and that's why I want to move and it causes these jerking motions. Okay. I won't, I won't uh, describe it further. But it's a sight to be seen, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, Anna, please stop, stop laughing. You're distracting our radio listeners. And our engineer uh, is laughing hysterically. Uh, a new dance piece that brings together two exceptional artists. And they include Alvin Arasga Tolentino from Vancouver's Co Arasga Dance Company and Martine. Intamusu from the Uruguay Artist Collective Complot. Their goal? To explore the themes of identity, the public and private sides of a person's identity, as well as identity crisis, drawing on their own personal experience of coming out and being gay. The two of them took time out of rehearsal to come to CITR, and as you'll hear, while the work may be centered around uh, their gay experience, they hope the core themes of identity and individuality are universal and relatable to anyone. To start, here is Alvin talking about how identity is a fluid, organic thing. I think the notion of identity is, is something that evolves over time as 
you know, being a teenager, being a young adult, and also in your adult age uh, or time period. So this notion of identity crisis and trying to fit in where you are mm-hmm. uh, with yourself and in the society changes over time. Um, so that's really, you know, that's sort of the, the main impetus of the, the process that we uh, centralize in order to bring about um, the project and, and to use that to, to accumulate the materials from, from our own personal experiences mm-hmm. and um, generate the, um, the dialogue, generate the physical expression and transform it into the medium which what we are yeah. doing, which is contemporary dance, and how to assess and how we will produce that um, in a production. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you take all these ideas and all these, um, you know, these thoughts um, and translate them to dance? Well, Martin and I are contemporary dancers, and we o- we both work in solo works and also work with uh, bigger casts or bigger ensemble mm-hmm. projects. And creatively, the process begins with, of course, having an inspiration and idea. And for me, the inspiration is really being able to work with Martin and 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 looking at the personal um issues as being gay or mm-hmm. uh y- using that as a pathways to really discover what may come out of it through performance so we do a lot of dialogues uh, mm-hmm. a lot of um discourse in terms of who we are where we are how we relate to the mm-hmm. community what is the issue right now being gay what's happening in the world what's happening in our own community his community mm-hmm. and try to to really discuss that in the t- in the studio um, and still trying not to have like a gay manifesto on stage that's not our <laughs> aim yeah that's not the but aim but to be uh, loyal with what we feel and what we want to say but to be sure that we are making a universal piece and for that also it's very important we had a very long time like we started thinking about this project like two years ago yeah late 2009 so mm-hmm. we had time to like you know let things breed and yeah. incubate mm-hmm. and we've had several process where we really do studio process of dialogues discussion and then physical exercises in terms of what are those dialogues how can we transport that into a physical okay. medium and then we um we look we we, we keep those those uh research process mm-hmm. those creative research process process with movements mm-hmm. we look at them we revisit them over time mm-hmm. and and we and question it all the time like we yeah uh, till the last minute up to now up are, to you, now. are you still doing that yeah now? up to now we, we are now doing a residency uh in the dance center's theater space so so we're constantly assessing in terms of, okay, what does this mean? What, what is this physical exploration, this dynamic work that we're doing? Yeah, and does it contribute to the piece? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and why and, here, why there, why yeah. this image, why this costume? Now we are yeah. in that moment where you have to question everything because uh, we are about to be exposed. And then yeah. <laughs> we need to be ready for that. Huh? Yeah. Because we haven't had a, like a like an audience yet, so we are like... First, we need to be sure of all the ingredients we are putting on stage mm-hmm. and to be very clear that the, our discourse is, yeah, it's uh, it's, rela- yeah, it's coherent, mm-hmm. it's related mm-hmm. and uh, 
part of the process of having uh, some time to 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 work uh, a long period is really to let the work breathe in terms of our understanding. And that's important. I, for me, that's very important. Uh, my process has always been like that. Is is you know, you get some time to 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 critically um, process it and think about it, mm. and then. Putting it on stage and performing it is another stage, of course. And it's not only uh, like our process because <coughs> there's a, a musician, a composer mm -hmm. working for the piece, a, a video, video artist, artist, a lighting designer, and and they like we work with the music, we work with the video, we give them feedback, mm -hmm. they bring mm -hmm. new material. So it's not like this duet. It's not Alvin and Martin yeah. that are working for Expose. It's a group of artists yeah. collaborating, and that's the only way you can have a, like a complete. Mm. Uh, work yeah. through collaboration. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's Alvin Arasga Tolentino and Martin Intamusu. And uh, they are putting uh, Fluence their. Fluent Spanish speaker. Hey? Fluent Spanish. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've been practicing that name uh, for the last uh, week. So I'm happy I got that right. Uh, the show Expose is coming to the Scotiabank Dance Center from Thursday until Saturday. That's April the 14th until the 16th, always at 8 p.m. And tickets are $20 and $28, $20 for uh, students, students and seniors. And you can get uh, tickets at tickets.tonight.ca, or you can get them from our website. That is to say, you can get the link for the tickets from our website, citr.ca, as well as links from all of the features we've uh, done and will do on today's show. That's at citr.ca. Uh, by the way, with this show, there's a post-show artist talk back on April the 15th. So that's a great opportunity to uh, speak to the artists if you so choose. So check that out. Now, uh, we're going to take a break and when we return we'll tell you about DJ Spooky's adventure in Antarctica not with polar bears because those are only in the Arctic. So stay with us. <laughs> Big government and big pharma have entered into a secret conspiracy in which secret government contracts are sold to big pharma that allow for secret chemicals to be placed in coffee seeds, all under the watchful eye of Big Coffee, who is secretly working with other world forces, all in a sinister plot to get alien embryos in our coffee so Big Pharma can sell us alien contraceptive pills. Or, if you'd rather get some rational news, check out Radio Free Thinker, the radio show slash podcast that promotes skepticism, critical thinking, and science education. Every Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. And we're back on The Arts Report. I'm your host, Adam Janusz, and we still have uh, lots of show for you. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about uh, some of... The top names in Vancouver music scene will be coming together on April the 9th for the premiere of Vox New, a concert of new vocal music written entirely by, by Vancouver composers. The concert will take place at 2 p.m. on Saturday, April the 9th at Ryerson United Church and will feature 11 composers over 30 uh, 11 composers and over 30 performers. Excuse me. And one of those Composers will be Benton Roark, who we featured on the show a few weeks ago. Um, so that's exciting. He's in a band called uh, Rollaway. 
and uh, and he'll be at this event. So I'm happy to tell you to give him a plug for that as well. I want to plug uh, next week's show when uh, we'll be interviewing the amazing Olympian poet Shane Koizan. Uh, if you listen to the Arts Report uh, regularly, uh, you may know that he's sort of a, a friend of the Arts Report. Uh, we interviewed him for the first time, or I interviewed him for the first time at the Folk Fest last uh, May and uh, had an awesome chat. It ended up uh, being one of the best, our best interviews of 2010. Um, as in, we had a podcast called The Best Interviews of 2010, and his was in there. Um, so that'll be next week, because he's bringing a show to The Culch, a spoken word slam-type multimedia extravaganza uh, to The Culch called When I Was Young. Um, so we've got an interview for that next week, so stay tuned for that. Okay. DJ Spooky, a.k.a. Paul D. Miller, uses electronic music and multimedia to explore the fabric of everyday urban life in the 21st century. He's an artistic dynamo. If you look him up on the internet, you'll see dozens of works, ranging from a record called Drums of Death, based on a recording session with Dave Lombardo from Slayer, to a re-release of reggae classics from the 40-year-old archives of Jamaica's Trojan Records called Fine Style. Oh, no. I just busted to an Sound Irish accent. Oh, no. Oh, no. Fine Style. Oh, no. Art no. support sponsored by Lucky Charms. Ah, that was the worst Jamaican accent. I'm not... That was the worst Jamaican accent I've ever heard. I'm just going to say Paul Lowe did that in one of his movies, too. He went, What's that? Uh, they went for a Jamaican and it came out sounding like a leprechaun. You're not the first. What is it with Jamaicans and leprechaun connection? I don't know. There? I really don't. It's maybe the... Um, maybe, I don't know. I, I can't see any kind of correlation between the two. But yes. obviously somebody does. Do you think Jamaica was originally uh, settled by leprechauns, maybe? Well, Irish people have tried to claim far further connections than Jamaica. So, I mean, it's possible, it's possible. that somebody in Irish history said that we somehow uh, started the Jamaican tradition. Yes. Well, anyway, this record that I'm talking about and uh, bungled the pronunciation of, it was called uh, Fine Style. DJ Spooky presents 50,000 volts of Trojan records. Right. And that's just his music. Now, he's also written books. Uh, he's uh, had his artwork featured in galleries around the world. And he's a professor of music-mediated art. You see what I mean? He's a very busy artist. He's coming to the Chan Center on April 8th and 9th with a work called Terra Nova, Sinfonia Antarctica, a project that involved him actually going to Antarctica to capture the soundscapes of ice and wind as well as the sound of the total absence of humanity. So we talked about what it was like to go from the cacophony of New York to the silence of that frozen continent. But first, here he is talking about how going down there was like hitting a creative reset button. you got to remember, I'm mainly a writer, artist, and musician. And so electronic music for me is always a way of kind of navigating the terrain that you know, makes up the fabric of everyday life in the 21st century. So when I say the fabric, mm -hmm. man, I'm talking like everybody is dealing with information overload. Everybody's dealing with... 20 zillion things flying around them at every level. So going to Antarctica was kind of like hitting the reset button on my creative process. And as an artist, writer, and musician, you got to remember I do hip-hop, I do techno, I do drum and bass, all these different styles, dubstep, and so on. And I just wanted to go away for a while, think about landscape, and do some of my writing and my art in a place that was radically unfamiliar. When you got there and... Uh you know, actually met it firsthand. Um, is there anything that uh, surprised you about it or, or caught you off guard? Well, the silence. You know, that's right. something you really, as a New Yorker, we really <laughs> deal with massive amount of volume. You know, volume is what it is. I mean, it's 
it's a physical immersion and you just have to deal with it, you know. But when you're in Antarctica, one of the things that first crosses your mind is the silence and the vastness of the landscape. So, but then you realize, wait a second, this isn't silent. It's just your ears have been bombarded with noise from New York or wherever it's a big city. Most of us are in large cities at this point. Yeah. So, you know, hip-hop, techno, drum and bass, dubstep, all these styles of the urban landscape, they make you think of the city as a kind of a, uh, a place of standardized rhythms, you know, where you hear a beat, mm-hmm. and the beat is like in 4-4 tempo, and you're hearing a story, and somebody's rhyming at you. But when you're in the landscape like that, in Antarctica, and last year I also went to the Arctic and far north, mm-hmm. um, you know, the landscape itself tells you the story, and that's something I was really trying to figure out with my piece. Interesting, and you say that at first you think it's silence, but I, it's not, is it? I mean, there's still things happening. It's just, it's just not the things that you're used to hearing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder, like, uh, okay, I've read um, on your Wikipedia page. It says that your work deals with the notion of the encoded gesture or the encrypted psychology of how music affects the whole framework of what the essence of humanity is, and. What's I didn't write, you know, it's funny, somebody took that from somewhere. Oh, really? You, did, you didn't write that? Oh, you didn't say well, that? Well, maybe I said it in some conversation at a bar or a club or something. Well, would you agree with it or, or not? Yeah, it's, it, it strikes me as something I, I would be into, you know, as information. But it's funny, man, when I, I saw that, somebody forwarded me uh, to me a while ago. I was like, oh, that's cool, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> but you're like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, uh, that's uh, the Wikipedia scenario is always very interesting in terms of how um, like you're never quite sure where things are coming from. Yeah, and yeah. how people, how people uh, remind you of bits and pieces of things. Yeah, and but what's curious about that is that Antarctica is very far removed from humanity. Uh, do you think it still has something to contribute to to the topic of uh, of what it means to be human? Yeah, absolutely. It's at the edge of the world. So is it that absence that sort of? Uh, um, well, yeah, absence is incredible. You really have to figure out some clever angles on what it means to, like, be, you know, solo. I mean, what I mean solo, I'm talking like you're walking one foot of, in front of the other, and you have to put that kind of, like, if you fall through the ice, you have to put that sense of <laughs> danger plus unexpectedness plus just straight-up weirdness, <laughs> at, you know, straight in, into the equation, you know, so it's like, when, I, when I'm in New York, you don't, you're walking down the street and you put one foot in front of the other, you, you don't assume the concrete's going to crumble and you'll end up <laughs> 20 feet below the concrete. Although, <laughs> with New York's infrastructure, it does happen. <laughs> so in terms of the show that, uh, that you're bringing to us here in, uh, in Vancouver, can you give us just a, an example of how um, you know, the, the sort of product of, uh, of those adventures in Antarctica translate to a show that people can you know, arrive at and, and enjoy? Well, what they're going to be seeing is a kind of relationship between composition and visual material put into a situation where everything that they're seeing and hearing has been edited, spliced, diced, ripped, mixed, burned, whatever you want to call it, straight off, like the idea of the composer as DJ. And I've basically what I've done is write the music from the ground up, give it to an ensemble, then sample it, then layer it, then add electronics. So... It's a very lyrical piece. It's kind of um, a little bit more on this idea of uh, immersion, you know, like having music that's minimal, repetitive. But, you know, there's, there's people like, of course, Steve Reich and Philip Glass, John Adams, um, you know. But at the same time, there's other electronic music like 
craft work or can or for that matter tangerine dream and so on so i grew up at a crossroads of just saying electronic music is about you know stories but we're not quite sure how to get those stories out um and that's what this film is about it's, it's an information and the reason i'm calling it a film mm-hmm. is it's like all right most of us view youtube clips we view multimedia we view whatever right YouTube wasn't even around during the last election in the U.S., mm-hmm. and Google Gmail has only been around for a couple of years. I mean, it's incredible how much that's changed our perception. But how do you translate that kind of information overload, information aesthetics into music? Um, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Well, thanks so much uh, for your time. I appreciate uh, us uh, getting connected, after all. And hey, thanks. All right, and we're back. That's DJ Spooky. Uh, the reason I said at the interview there, I'm glad we got connected after all, was because... Um, we we had some trouble. We were supposed to do the interview yesterday originally, and then I had some troubles um, when the interview came, so we had to reschedule. And then I had trouble reaching him this morning, and uh, so, yeah, it was a bit of a circus to, to, to get the two of us connected. But we finally did, obviously, because you heard the interview there. So, uh, yeah, a little insight into the inner workings of the arts report there. You don't usually hear, you don't usually hear that on air, so... Lucky there. Anyway, Terra Nova Symphonia Antarctica is coming on Saturday, April the 9th at 8 p.m., and that's happening at the TELUS Studio Theater at the Chan Center. Tickets for that are $40, although there are discounts available for students and seniors. And there is also an artist talk on Friday, April the 8th at 4 p.m., and guess what? It is free. And that's happening at SFU Woodward's Gold Corp Center for the Arts. Uh, down at the W, the W? No, just as a few woodwards. They don't call it the W. I've just coined a new phrase. They're going to start calling it the copyright. W. Copyright. I'm going to copyright that and make millions. Thanks, Tom. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the talk. It says, In this artist's talk, Miller reconstructs the history of sound and recorded media by several of the most well-known artists of their field, ranging from Brian Eno to Moby to Chuck D, as well as artists, writers, and theoreticians. Yes, these are reports from the front lines on the role of sound and digital media in an information-based society. Yeah, so it's free to learn about that on Friday at uh, Woodward's, SFU Woodward's, or the W, or the Dub. The Dub. We're going to call it the Dub from now on, on the Art Support. Yeah, you can get information on that. uh, If you want to get tickets for the Saturday night show, you can get that on uh, our website, citr.ca, which is a handy place to subscribe to our podcast. And uh, also a handy place to uh, subscribe to our Twitter feed. Uh, CITR underscore Arts Report is our place on Twitter. We hit 600 followers today, which I think is exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. That's, Thank you. It's no mean feat. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. 600 followers in a, in a local capacity is nothing to sneeze at. No, but it's a far ways uh, still from CITR Radio, which has, I think, uh, 1,800 followers or something. Along That's those a tired man for one show. How many shows are on the, uh, the roster at the moment? That's true. There are dozens. Mathematically speaking, you're probably ahead. And how many of the hosts wear uh, bird-like outfits? Not a lot. And I also feel like at the moment I'm in a Boys to Men video with, like, you know, one headphone that works and a baseball cap and a drop-down <laughs> microphone, you know. We should really be harmonizing, you know, like not, <laughs> yeah. not wearing bird suits. Let's not try to harmonize. That will be... You uh, would lose, or maybe you'll get more uh, people on Twitter telling you to stop. <laughs> yeah. You just want numbers. We'll get more followers going, please, please cease and desist. 
Uh, can we take a, a break? Uh, yeah, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we will tell you about the Crazy Eights Film Festival, which involved uh, hundreds of people doing pitches to a jury, who then whittled it down to uh, just six uh, filmmakers who were then given $800 and eight days to make a film. Now, those films were finished last week and they are ready to be screened, and uh, it's going to be a party. So stay with us. This just in Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock, CITR 101.9 FM presents Cabaret Radio. Join host Teddy Smooth as he explores the chimerical, the hysterical, the phantasmagorical world of burlesque and cabaret. Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock, CITR 101.9 FM brings you Cabaret Radio. Hey, and we're back on the Arts Report. I'm your host, Adam Janusz, and we have one more thing to tell you about before we wrap up today's show. Some of Vancouver's most talented up-and-coming filmmakers get 800 bucks and eight days to make a film that will then be screened for the creme de la creme of the city's film industry. It's the Crazy Eights Film Festival, and it's happening on April the 9th. But how does it work? And who are the participating filmmakers? And what are these films about? To answer these questions, here is Mark Stevenson from Crazy Eights. According to him, it all begins with hundreds of aspiring filmmakers giving a pitch. Indeed, yeah. We start actually back way back in December. Uh, uh, we have a, well, I guess we start almost before that because we have a call for applications or call for uh, video pitches. And uh, in December, we actually do a registration day. That's a combination register for the events and also get a pitch workshop. So... People are paying their money to enter into Crazy Eights, but, uh, uh, you know, even if they don't make it, they do get uh, this free and fun interactive uh, pitch workshop, which yeah. uh, hopefully helps them, uh, A, improve their pitch for Crazy Eights and, and, and could hone their, their ideas for, for other things down the line. So, and, and sorry, does that happen before the pitches? That starts, that's actually on the registration day. We, we want wow. people to come nice. down in person yeah. and register, so we don't do it online or anything like that. We just have a day, uh, it's, a, it's a Sunday usually, Sunday afternoon, and people come down and they register, and then we can uh, get to meet many of the applicants, and mm -hmm. um, uh, they get a pitch workshop. This year was done by uh, Mickey Rogers, who's uh, uh, you know, a veteran of the industry, and uh, she specializes in in pitching and preparing people for uh, for markets and uh, film festivals and that sort of thing. That's such a great opportunity to, you know, imagine that happened all the time. If you had a job interview, they give you a job interview uh, workshop before yeah, you did it. Exactly. Yeah, well, we thought so, you know, and it's, uh, you know, pe people pay these the, this money and, you know, you can apply for things, you know, film festivals, et cetera, you're always paying a fee and, you know, it kind of just goes off into the ether. Obviously, you need money to uh, be able to, uh, go through all these films and, and, uh, you know, we, we require a little bit of funds to, uh, uh, you know, to survey the, uh, the, the fairly large amount of video pitches that we get. Right. Okay. So then what happens? So people then, uh, a few weeks later, um, uh, submit their five minute video pitch. Uh, we upload it to an FTP site or they can drop it off a DVD to our office. And then, um, from that point we wade through uh, the video pitches and choose 40 uh, of those uh, video pitches to, to go on and do a in-person pitch. Okay. So then they really have to prove their muster. <laughs> That's right. 
of course, you know, it's in front of a panel of industry professionals, and, you know, it's a little more nerve-wracking, of course, you know, people are, you know, physically in the room with you, and, uh, you know, you've got to be on your game. So uh, we, we do a very similar format, five minutes to pitch, and then uh, the jury has five minutes to ask questions of, of the applicant. So, And then how do you, uh, how does that sort of jury um, make their decisions based on uh, the pitches, and what are they looking for? What are they? Um, what goes into uh, selecting the films? Well, certainly, it's not an easy process. Yeah, you know, you can imagine uh, everyone's got uh, divergent interests and and uh, uh, sort of you know what what makes a, a short film uh, good. Um, certainly, we're looking for obviously good story, uh, original stories, and. Um, something that's that's manageable certainly within the eight days but also the team associated with with the project um you know if you're a newbie filmmaker have you gone out and contacted more senior people or more experienced people to help you out so we're, we're looking for people who are bringing something to the table other than just a good idea mm-hmm. great and then so then we choose 13 well we choose we, <laughs> normally we've chosen 12 but uh this year we were deadlocked so we chose 13 ah. Um, what we call finalists, and uh, they're put through um, a four-week story edit process. So uh, they submit their scripts, which are usually 10 pages or less because the films are meant to be 10 minutes or less, and uh, in film language, usually a page equals about a minute. Mm -hmm. And that's story edited with, again, professional story editors from the community, film community, and then they resubmit uh, their scripts once they've been polished up and from those scripts, we choose the winners, which are uh, always six uh, teams. Wow. And then they have eight uh, what must be very fast days to make their <laughs> films. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, the, the teams are given probably about three weeks uh, of pre-production because, of course, you, you know, once you find out, then you're suddenly hitting the ground running. You've got to get your crew. You've got to get your locations. Um, you've got to... Well, I mean, those are really the two most important things. Yeah. Once you sort of set those, we provide kind of the rest. So we provide the grip and electric, uh, you know, the lights and cameras, the sound equipment. Uh, we provide casting, uh, any kind of assistance with, um, you know, director mentors, uh, mm. other, other people to support the teams. Um, yeah, it sounds extremely supportive. Yeah, we do as much as we can. Uh, each team gets eight hundred dollars in uh, eight days to do it. They get their post production, of course, and uh, then we have this fantastic screening that's coming up uh, this Saturday, April ninth. Yeah, and now are the films finished, or are they out there right now, all over the city, still uh, frantically putting it together? Yeah, the films are all finished on okay. Friday. Um, <clears throat> this year we changed uh, things slightly. Normally, we've uh, actually had people deliver the Friday, and we had the screening on the the, the next day on the Saturday, <laughs> but. You know, after two years of doing this, we decided that's a little too crazy. And, right. You know, we want to have DVDs, and we want, want to have the week to be able to promote it. Uh, so um, it's, uh, yeah, they're all finished. They're in my hot hands, and I'm <laughs> actually working with media and uh, just trying to get the, the word out. Yeah, so speaking of which, um, there's going to mm-hmm. be a great uh, gala and an after party and everything. That's right. Tell yeah, well, it's a... The best bargain in town you, for uh, twenty-five dollars, you get this uh, wonderful screening and event hosted by uh, Ken Hegan this year, and then there is a after party at Science World, which is uh, 
I actually, you know, I've lived in Vancouver for 10 years. I've never been to the science world. Never? <laughs> well, never? I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I don't have any children, and I'm, I'm a little old for it, I thought. But uh, I was, you know, woefully mistaken and was kicking myself that I hadn't gone sooner because, man, it is fun over there. And we get to uh, one of the rooms that we're going to have the party in. It's got all kinds of, you know, fun things to, to play with and electrostatic thingamajigs and <laughs> all kinds of all kinds of uh, fun uh, fun exhibits. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time. We look forward to it. Okay, thanks, Adam. And that's Mark Stevenson telling us about the Crazy Eights uh, Gala Screening, which is coming up April the 9th at 7 p.m. at the Vogue Theatre, which is on Granville Street, as we all know. And then the after party is at Science World, and the price of admission is $25, and that gets you into both the screening and the after party, so you can uh, party down and listen to Adham Shake and DJ Timothy Wisdom, as well as, I guess, tinker with uh, all the cool uh, science toys. Do they, I don't know, do they, let, I've never been to um, any kind of after party sort of adult nightly event at, uh, at Science World, so I don't know if they let you add it, but uh, that will be great, whether they do or not. One thing to add about that is that one of these uh, six films is done by Zach Rothman, which has been, uh, who has been on the Arts Report many a time as a film, uh, film Critic. I was going to say cricket. Let's say cricket. Uh, film critic, yeah. And uh, his film is called Alchemy and Other Imperfections, and he's the writer and director of that film. It's about a man and a woman um, who are so wrapped up in their crumbling marriage, they have completely lost touch with the world outside. So we're very happy for Zach. We're very proud of him and uh, wish him well at the screening. So check that out. Now, uh, uh, Tom, our uh, researcher, has been sitting with me uh, throughout the show, but he's now traded seats with uh, Simon, who was our uh, illustrious sound engineer for many a month. Hello. Hello, Simon. Adam. How's it going? It's going well. Now, I'm in a bird-like outfit. Can you describe the outfit that you're wearing right now? The outfit, um, it's small, it's tight, it uh, has a kind of a sheen to it, that water runs off it like a duck's back. Uh-huh. And uh, there's some netting. I'm picturing like a figure skating outfit. Yes, it, well, actually, this is all Slash headgear. Superhero. Headgear. I've got a Superman's outfit on underneath there. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, that's great. Now, um, the reason I've, uh, uh, I've got you here is actually twofold. Number one, I want to thank you for your time at the Arts Report, and I can definitely say um, you have in- improved the show immensely since you came. So well, thank you very much. Well, pleasure's all mine. It was great working on the show. And... Uh, the show is improving every week. I love it. Thank you. And uh, so the reason that you've, you've sort of, um, how do I say nicely, that you've left us and abandoned us <laughs> without saying so, the reason you have uh, transitioned to other things is because you've got your own show here at Sit Here. Well, I have at the moment on Sundays at 9 to 10, I am presenting a show called Bootlegs and B-Sides, which uh, is a mix of the best bootlegs, remixes, mashups, uh, cover versions, and other audio delights that I have... I'm invested in and collected over the years. So um, I'm blasting it out, 9 to 10, Sunday evenings, bootlegs and b-sides with me, Doran. Doran, that's 
That's your... Yeah, that's me, Doran. Doran. Thank you, Doran. All right. <laughs> All right, and uh, if you notice, we're talking a lot about uh, uh, volunteers here. Uh, if you want to find out about volunteering, by all means, uh, get involved. We have a growing arts team, and it's always exciting and interesting, and uh, we get you out to uh, see shows as well as in the studio here with us. So uh, if you want to join our, our, our growing team, uh, hit us an email at arts at citr.ca. Also, remember that email. If, uh, if you want to tell us about a show that you've seen and enjoyed, or hated uh, at the top of uh, today's show. I talked about uh, 1984 and Jesus Hop the A Train. If you vehemently disagree with me or agree with me or have any opinion about those shows or any other shows, we love hearing from you on this show. So email us at arts at citr.ca. All right, we are uh, completely out of time. So um, I want to say uh, thanks to everybody here Anna, Tom, Simon. Uh, for making this week's show, and happy birthday to Vancouver. Vancouver is 125. Woo! All right, you have a good week, everybody. See you next time on the Arts Report. Mm-hmm.